I'd like to tell you about one of the most amazing things that ever happened to me. The, um, I went back to the, uh, the parish that I came from, and it, uh, the school there is built like a great French castle. It's enormous of great stones and, uh, and grandeur. The ceilings in the classrooms on each floor are 14 feet high, so the light reaches directly all the way to the other side of the room. Forget the fluorescent lights. The top floor has an auditorium, about a 40-foot high ceiling, and over the, uh, over the stage, timber uh, every which way, looking like the Great Hall of Westminster. And it would have become a, a school amalgamated from the parishes, but one of the pastors held out, and so that failed. A lesson, perhaps, for some. But then uh, it was snapped up, and another group has used it mightily for a school. But there were, there were various masses as it closed. It closed after 150 years. And um, so I went down to do a mass midday on the Saturday, dashed down from here, photo finish, uh, for the alumni, and alumni. And there were about 800, 700, 800 people or more packing the church. It was built by the same architect who did the cathedral on Logan Circle in Philadelphia, and was the same size. Big. And so, um, it was delightful to see everyone, and I was shaking hands, and there were two fellows in their late 20s, that's an important number, in their late 20s, who wanted to each said, they want to tell, I want to tell you a story about your grandfather, Dr. Bigley. And I said, uh, well, would you mind holding on here, the first one, and then I want to wait till I shake hands with everyone, and I did. And then the other person said the same thing, I said, well, could you wait over here? And little did I think, in the practical world, nothing against them, little did I think they would stay until I shook seven or eight hundred hands. Who would, who would imagine that? But they did. The first one said, I want to tell you a story about your grandfather, Dr. Bigley. I said, I think you mean my Uncle Joe Bigley, who made house calls until, for 50 years until 1991. And uh, they said, oh, no, Father, your grandfather, Dr. Francis P. Bigley. Now, he died in 1943. We are standing in the year 2011. This guy in his late 20s. Could someone please explain to me what's going on? And I just happened to mention some doctors in my talk. There was no sense that I was going to be there or I had any relation to Dr. Bigley. This was simply by chance. And so he said that his, uh, his great-great, however many, grandmother had gotten out of an orphanage and really had no place to take her in, poor thing. And that your grandfather and your grandmother took her in and made her nanny to the big league kids. She helped with the wash and things like this. She was a delight. And they helped set her up with her home and her marriage. And as a result, Father, in every generation since then, in all the homes to this day, the oldest boy is named Francis Peter after your grandfather. So my socks weren't on my shoes, in my feet anymore. My socks were knocked off. Couldn't believe it. So the also, the other fellow had stayed through shaking all those hands, the full church. And he said, Father, I want to tell you a story about my, your grandfather, Dr. Bigley. And so I, being thick as a cinder block, said, I think he'd be my uncle. He said, no, Father, your grandfather, Dr. Francis P. Bigley. In 1911, now by chance, I was being told this story in 2011. In 1911, my great-great-whatever grandmother was having a baby, and uh, it, she was due on July 4th. She was due on July 4th, it was April 1st, when the baby was arriving. She said the older kids to fetch Dr. Bigley deliveries were at home in those days. 
They went over, and of course he roared laughing, saying, April Fools, April Fools, April Fools. They said, no, the baby's really coming, and he laughed all the hardest, said, oh, that's very good, that's very good, April Fools. This was three months, three days premature. So they insisted that he went and found this little baby arriving, had them get a shoebox, he put all the cotton he had, put the little baby in the shoebox, had them get bricks from backyards and factory, whatever. They brought them in, he banged the mud off of them, he put them on the coal stove, he told them not to let them get too hot, showed them how to put them around the shoebox, and she lived to be 71. At the St. Luke's Guild of Catholic Doctors, we have our mass with the Cardinal every around St. Luke's Day, mid-October every year. Uh, we, uh, several, I told that story and several doctors said, Father, a baby that premature might not live in a modern hospital today. One thing that was striking, if only by the fact that they waited for the shaking of hands of 700, 300, 800 people, is that those people and those families were grateful. They have been helped, they have been loved, they have been cared for. If I could offer on a side, which is exactly on the same line, although it may not seem so as first, at first, the Cardinal every year gets together with the physicians and the med students of the whole area. And it gets together for mass around the Feast of St. Luke. This year it's Saturday at 5 p.m. at the seminary. So, you're probably asking me, is this an advertisement? It absolutely is. So that's the 15th of October, 5 p.m., St. John's Seminary, go out Cobb Ave to BC, just before BC, turn on the Lake Street, 127 Lake Street, drive into the seminary, the chapel of St. John's Seminary, then we chat over wine and cheese, then we have dinner together, and then there's a speaker. The speaker will be Catholic Relief Services representative who is working on Ukraine and has come back to speak to us. So if you look at the website for St. Luke's Guild of Catholic Physicians, you'll see a way, if you could let med students know that and physicians know that, so they know they're warmly invited there, and in the process acknowledge, give a chance to acknowledge all the good they do in an extremely demanding and costing profession for all of us. The way we look at our lives isn't completely like the two fellows I mentioned. Because the way we often look at our lives, understandably, sensibly, makes sense, is that we have our agendas and we notice what we have to do, what we have yet to get at the store, what we have yet to achieve. But perhaps without noticing, it inevitably points us on this. What we still lack, what we don't have, what we haven't got. And by contrast, our Lord's Gospel today helps us do a most helpful thing. To focus us on how much we've already been given and that we already have, and to give thanks for that. We notice it different ways. But it teaches us to see when we notice that. You can have all the gifts, but if you don't have a grateful heart, it's not clear what you or I have at all. Most of the mornings at daily mass is a man who's blind, who is here at church ahead of almost everyone else. It's extremely touching. You think of all it cost him to get here and all the other troubles in life. And as the years go on, you say to yourself, not everyone comes to church every day, but he does. And perhaps that's because although he's blind, 
he can see better than all the rest of us put together. Although he's blind, he can see better than all the rest of us put together. You know I'm not making that up because you couldn't make it up. That's the virtue of being true and his life a profound thing. In the midst of trouble, we normally assume people with trouble in their lives have a life foreclosed and gone. But instead, his life with trouble he has made by the grace of God, but his own collaboration with it, a glorious thing that educates each one of us every day and forever. Wherever we are after this will be a memory forever of insight, of genuine sight, of foresight, of seeing when we often simply remain blind. Where are the others? Why has this foreigner come back? Well, people who are different can often teach us many things. We have this idea if we just hold to our own membership, our own clique, our own lookalikes or whatever, and hold to that and demand that, we'll learn things. Little realizing that it's the variety of life that teaches us the greatest things of all and ensures the health of everyone. You and I know companies that say, my way or the highway fail. You know, the companies that have that hybrid vigor of different points of view, freely aired, have a chance to survive because they've thought of everything possible. And so with all our other groups, whether parish or family or anything else. Important, of course, to have unity. One of the things I mentioned about the St. Luke's Guild of Catholic Doctors is you can achieve a great deal if you get together. For instance, the doctors are picking up tabs for the dinners, there's uh, the mass and then the conversation and cocktails, then the dinner and then the speaker. They're picking up the meals for the med students. They're doing that. So when people collaborate and pull together, it's amazing what you can achieve. When we look at Ukraine, we don't realize that. I wonder from that what we've gotten. Naaman the Syrian had leprosy. Can you imagine anything more scary? the idea of isolation and being cut off from those nearest to you. And he was skeptical at first, but listened to the prophet and bathed in the River Jordan. And then his skin, till then quite leprous, became as pure and clean as a newborn baby's. And he gave thanks to the God of Israel, the God of that place which God had cured him. If you run out of reading, there's a superb book from uh, mid-last century before philosophy. I'm sure many of you know it. Before philosophy is about the intellectual adventure of ancient man and women by Henri Francfort. And uh, before philosophy talks about the worldview of people in those different cultures. Uh, and uh, you can think of each of them in turn. But one of the things they point out, which one might not know, is that it was assumed, it was known there was a universal flood, or believed, and evidence of it seen. But then there was a primal hill in every town where usually the temple was. And as the water had receded, there was the primal hill, there was the temple, and there they met with God. And that was the place where one would encounter God and God's law, and the law be writ and heard and observed. And so Naaman the Syrian coming to the Jordan, to the Jewish people of whom we three quarters of our Bible is writ by, came and saw that he with leprosy was cured so remarkably. And so if you can believe it, he takes the soil of the land so he can bring that back in loyalty 
to the foreign place where he is, ever to pray to the God who saved them. There are cities and sounds of our birth, of our study, of our crises, of our work, that we remember where God was precious and God came close to each of us. Emmanuel, God with us. In a sense, it's valuable to bring that earth with us ever still. We walk into a church, we come into a new place, we walk into our new parish, our new Catholic church, we walk around, we learn from its insights. Think of the poor people who built this dollar by dollar, brick by brick in their poverty, and all they teach us by the windows and the art, we make it our own. And each place we go as Catholics, we learn a new chapter in our lives, but a new chapter above all in the love of God for each of us, our whole lives long. Thanks for listening to Within the Walls of St. Paul's Sunday Homilies. Please be sure to like us on Facebook and consider supporting us by visiting stpaulsharvardsquare.org. That's stpaulsharvardsquare.org. God bless and see you next time.